Well, hello, Sunridge. If you're checking out this video right now or just listening to us online, you know that this message has already been given in our one big gathering on Sunday morning where the church gathered on Sunday outside, all of us together. And yet I'm giving a more extended play version of this message in this uh, time online. I'm pre-recording it because I'm just thinking with the heat that will be here in the morning and all the kids running around. I think it's difficult enough for me to hold your attention for 40 minutes or so, let alone be outside with all that's gonna be going on. So uh, thanks for checking us out. Um, there might be like a phrase that you're not familiar with or words like if I say 45 versus LP, I know that if you're the younger generation, you probably don't know what I'm talking about, but if you come from my generation, you know that records used to come in two forms. There was a short version, which was a 45, uh, and then there was LP, which st stood for long play. And so this is the LP version. This is the full Inagata Davida version, uh, long play album of the message that we're giving uh, this week. I wanna open up with some scripture in Matthew, uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter six, beginning in verse nine, we have the prayer of Jesus when his disciples have asked, how should they pray? And he said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And you're probably familiar with this text where Jesus is teaching us how to pray. It comes from the Sermon on the Mount, which I'm so excited. We're going to start next week and just break it down. So I don't want to steal thunder from that uh, as we go through it. But suffice it to say that this prayer reminds us uh, not just that we need to pray it or pray versions of it daily, because number one, it is the prayer of Jesus. And so that holds special significance. But more than that, this prayer gives us insight into the mind, mind and heart of Jesus. You know, like when you hear someone pray, you know, you get a glimpse of who they are and what their passions are and what they're concerned about. And then of course, as the followers of Jesus, those who are apprenticing under him in our lives and our life ethic, we gain perspective on how we should then also live. So praying this prayer or a version of it or using it as a template for prayers, a reminder of the focus of our faith and the nature of how our faith is lived out. But it also uh, reflects a synchronization, I don't know if you see this in the prayer, but I'm going to point it out, of uh, the kingdom of heaven and earth. Jesus said, uh, it's recorded in verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if I could take the liberty to paraphrase Jesus' words here, he's saying, make earth a place where God's will is done just as it is in heaven. And so, you know, we are here on earth and yet there's this kingdom of heaven. God's will is done there. And Jesus is saying these should synchronize. Our prayer then should be to bring heaven to earth. And that's kind of my, that's my title, uh, heaven on earth today. In Maslow's hierarchy of needs, uh, right after our physiological needs of food and water, and then our shelter or security needs, number three is belonging. 
All of us need human relationships, intact and meaningful relationships. And those, as you know, they affect everything. Our ability, our capacity to get along, to, to maintain long-term relationships in a healthy way affects everything that we do. And so in this series that we've called Let's Talk, we're seeing that this series of messages isn't just a nice little series of talks about how to get along or to have a better Thanksgiving or Christmas this year with your family. Actually, civilization is riding on this because the human capacity to flourish is so tied in to our ability to talk with one another. This series, Let's Talk, we've you know, kind of summarize it to say that this is all about how because of the redemptive work that Jesus has done in our lives that we can meet people where they are even if where they are isn't where we are. We know that it involves listening, something that all of us need to do a better job of and to be more interested in what people are saying. And then it also involves number two, to, to not label each other, to not put titles or categorize someone so that we can delegitimize what they're saying. We talked about how we have to take off our jersey, that there's so many competing uh, things for our allegiance in our world today, and yet our allegiance has to be solely to Jesus. And then last week we talked about how pride must be replaced by humility. So. Today, we're talking about how we can bring heaven to earth, and that's all part of uh, our relational approach to Christianity. But it's really like, how can, how can the Christian community speak in to what's happening today in our world in this cultural moment? And I think that as Christians, we need to think deeply about this, especially right now. Because number one, how can the gospel be shared without relationship? Doesn't conversion require conversation? How can I witness of God's love in my community, in my family, with my friends, without first demonstrating it? And in order to do that, doesn't it require me to be with people who think differently than I do, talking to them? And if so, doing that well? And beyond that even, beyond like you think about our global or world or gospel impact, what about in the context of our own daily lives and the place that we work, with our families, in our marriages? What is the example we're passing on to our children right now and to our grandchildren and, then of course, in our faith community? What, does the role, what is the role of the church today in our inability to talk? You know, I used to say that loving people would be easy if it weren't for our differences. You know, if only everyone was just like me, this would be so much easier. But you know that our differences are dividing us even more than ever before. Yes, that is true. But isn't it also true that we're having trouble now getting along with even people who are very much like us? And all this can be incredibly hard and confusing to us because so many of us want to be a part of what God is doing in the world today, to reach people with God's love, to share the gospel. And so we ask, like, how can we do this? How can we do it well in a world that is so divided? How do we, in the, in the context of human relationship, bring heaven to earth so that our world, in however we can affect it, 
becomes more like heaven than ever before. You know, there's a big difference between heaven and earth. I don't know that if you've realized that before, and I'm not just talking about latitude and longitude. Um, Jesus's prayer reveals this to us. The, the idea that we must bring God's will to this earth infers, implies that they are different. They're different in their ethic, in their values. And, the, and it takes us an acknowledgement on our part that they are vastly different. So in order to do this, it's going to take work, a lot of work. But God has given us the ministry of that work. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, has provided such a beautiful theology on this. We read this passage often at Sunridge, but in his second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 5, verse 17, he says that, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And this is just such a simple reminder, but something that we as Christians should think about often, that God has changed us. When we gave our hearts or our souls or our lives over to Jesus, something inside us changed. The old was gone. That's part of it. The old is forever gone. So many of our old ways must be laid aside because we're something new. We're a new creation. We have a new way of living, a new ethic. Paul goes on to explain to us or remind us how this happens in verse, 19, or verse 18. He says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the work that I've talked about, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting men's sins against them. When Paul uses the word reconciliation, if that's not part of your normal vocabulary, uh, it means to restore, to resolve, to reunite broken relationships. That is the message of Jesus, that we were separated from God. And yet he chose, while we were still sinners, to reconcile us to God. He chose to engage with us and to make us a part of or bring the new creation to us. That is his message. And many of you that are listening to me today, I know that when you think about what God has done for you and the miraculous transformation that happened, not just in your heart, but in your life and the things that you care about, you're so grateful for that. And we commemorate that often here at Sundridge through communion, but I know many of you do that often just in your daily life. You can be driving down the road and it'll just hit you how different your life is because, not because you became religious or not because you joined a certain church and not because you joined Sunridge or you became part of a Bible study even. The change was brought about because of this relationship and the reconciling work that you have because of Jesus. But now, here's the thing. He has committed to us that message of reconciliation. And in verse 18, he says that he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So we have been reconciled and transformed. It was Jesus's work. He did it for us. He's the one that transformed us. And now Christian, church, he has given us that same ministry. We do the same work of Jesus in the world. 
And this is, this is how this ties into the way I believe that the Christian community can be a, a healing source and be part of like allowing our light to shine and salting the earth. What God has called us to do here, see the church is meant to be a redemptive community. What do I mean by that? To be redemptive means to be changing, transforming to wholeness. We often think of redemption and like, you know, returning of bottles or cans and they can be redeemed. They're like made new into something else. But redemption goes far beyond bottles and cans. It, it's a story. The story of redemption is a story that we're drawn to. When I think about the work that Father Boyle does up in LA with gangs or the work that we've done through world vision in bringing wells and Christian faith and education to, to parts of the world that so desperately need it. That's all part of the redemptive work that we're involved in. I think about how we're helping our community right now during COVID and the way kids are experiencing school and parents and students. And we're involved in like helping kids read, giving them an outlet to go and have fun. We're sending meals and meal cards to teachers who grind hard all day and then come home and have to help their own kids learn math or English or spelling. We're attracted even to movies or stories of redemption, whether it's like a kid's thing with Buzz Lightyear, he, he finds himself in a new way or something deeper and more intense like uh, Jean Valjean in Les Mis. All of us in our world, and certainly it's, it's easy to see today how we're encountering the brokenness of the world and God is calling us to be actively engaged in the redemption of that world. Why is that so important? Why is this the work that God has given us? Why do we need a redemptive community? Or even why do we need redemption? We need it because we are all sinners. The basic doctrine of redemption is this, that one, we are all sinners. Romans 3.23 tells us this, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. No matter how good we are, no matter how moral we are, no matter how hard we work at it, no matter how passionate we are about, you know, like being a good person, we all fall short. Some of us fall shorter than others, but that's not what it is. It's we're all falling short of it. So we are all sinners. All of us fail miserably. Secondly, and because of the first, God has provided a remedy for our sin in the death, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And this is where redemption is found. The cure for sin is repentance. Now, when I use the word repentance, I know it like conjures up, you know, the idea that or the, the image that you would walk down an aisle and you would be crying and maybe, you know, like some old time evangelism kind of conferences where, you know, people are emotional and, you know, the, the pastor preacher points a bony finger out and, and makes you feel the weight of sin. That's all part of it. That's all true. We are all broken and we must repent of that sin. But it, repentance is so much bigger than that for the believer. We don't just turn from 
a, a series of choices that we've made or habits. Repenting to follow Jesus is really to turn from everything that is about us and self-centered. We now, we don't, we don't walk according to the world's kingdom. We have a new kingdom. And because we have a new kingdom, we have a new king. And our citizenship, our allegiance, our loyalty, our governance, our laws, our ethics, our values, our constitution, our heroes are all totally different. We have turned from the life that is centered on me and we focus our attention on him. This is what it means to repent. I love this quote from Jim Van Ipperen's uh, Making Peace, A Guide to Overcoming Church Conflict. That's a book that I read for this series. I would totally recommend it. I know they're going to put it up in the chat on, uh, on our online platform. But here's the quote. Why do we need a redemptive community or even redemption? Because we are all sinners. In fact, the thrust of Scripture assumes two very important facts. First, all of us sin and fall short. We've said that. All including leaders, will fail, often miserably. You can take this fact to the bank. We are sinners. This is not surprising to God, and it should not surprise us. But second, and because of the first, God has provided a remedy for our sin in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our cure is repentance. Here again, the gospel turns conventional wisdom on its head. In Western democratic culture, we are presumed innocent until proven guilty. All benefit of doubt goes to the sinner. The presumption of scripture, though, is the opposite. We, all of us, are guilty. What's more, the sinner is expected, even obligated, to turn himself in. In God's eyes, the sinner should be the first to expose his sin, even before it is commonly known. Repentance is the cure for our brokenness. And repentance makes way for the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus told us in Matthew 3, 2. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. In chapter 4, verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Then James talks about the healing power of repentance. In James 5.16, he says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And of course, here, James is talking about physical health. But the nature of James's letter, if you've read it, is that there was far more than physical dishealth in, in what he was addressing. He was talking about conflict and strife and grumbling and slander and even murder. And James's acknowledgement is that so much human suffering that's going on, the, the, our inability to flourish in the world is caused by our own soul sickness. And how is this healed? It is healed through repentance and confession. Now, that's important theology, but it's more than theology. This idea of repentance leads to the kingdom of heaven becoming something that is a reality on earth. It permeates our being. Not, I don't mean in the constant guilt or self-flagellation. This is a world perspective. It's a value, the acknowledgement that brokenness lies within me. 
and also in my friends and in the world. See, the church is meant to be a redemptive community where people can admit and confess their own brokenness. And I use the word meant intentionally here because you can be a Christian. We can have a church that isn't redemptive in the sense that Jesus is saying or that Paul is indicating in the reconciling work of Jesus. And this gets down to what the church is and why we're here and what our experience is going to be. Because I know that many of you that are watching this, your experience has not been that the church was a redemptive place for you. Many of us have seen that church is a place to pretend. It's a place to condemn. It's a place to put on this, your smiley face after screaming at your kids in the parking lot. Hopefully your windows were up so that nobody else could hear and walking in and then smiling and telling everybody everything's beautiful in your home. Now we've all, I've, we've all done that, right? So that's, I'm not trying to bring guilt on family conflict, especially with children just before church. I think that that might be the devil's work. But it does make us ask the question, as a church, as a Christian, what is it that we're hoping to do in the world? Because if the church is meant to be a redemptive community, then let's, let's just say something obvious but profound. The goal of a redemptive community is redemption. We are here to redeem. We're here to compensate for people's shortcomings and their faults. And we're seeking for opportunity to change, not just ourselves, but to be a part of change in other people's lives. Not, not to push the unredeemed or the people that are less redeemed than me away, but to invite them in. You know, this is the theme of the Bible. The Bible is a story about how God is redeeming us in every story, every Every narrative, every poem, it all points to the redemptive work of God and how God is working in the lives of humanity in all of us from, from day one, from Adam and Eve through this day in, in 2020, the, the craziest year that most of us have experienced. God is still redeeming. And he has still given us this work of reconciliation. And it's why the church exists in the world today. Just look at the life of Jesus. You know, the culture of his day was not, was not redemptive by any means. In his world, the weak are conquered. And yet, as we'll see in the Sermon on the Mount, starting next week, that Jesus says of the conquered, of the lowly, you are blessed. The sick, lame, lepers, mentally ill are all ostracized. And yet Jesus engaged them. He included them. He healed them. He said explicitly, I came for the sick. In the world of Jesus, sinners are despised by people's definition of that time. And yet Jesus says, I came to seek the lost. I ate, he ate with them. 
He protected them when vulnerable like the adulterous woman. And many of them followed him. People that were so unlikely to follow Jesus did because his work was redemptive. And redemption is work. Sometimes it's gritty work. It's not just a comfortable life of church. It can be scary. It will be costly. It'll make us uncomfortable. You see, redemption isn't just a theoretical or a theological concept. Redemption isn't something that can be achieved from an ivory tower, from a comfy, cozy space. We can't be a part of redemption simply by sitting in a living room in a circle with only the redeemed. We can't do it from a safe place where we're never contaminated or never exposed. If there's redemption, it's a lot like renovation. It'll be dirty. It'll be messy. Things will break. If you're going to dig wells in Africa to redeem a community so that you can share the gospel, that's going to be work and it's going to be costly. If in, your, in our local community, it might mean just sitting with a homeless person. A little safer but still uncomfortable for many is maybe to have a cup of coffee or even a beer with a coworker and talk about what Jesus has done for you. The redemptive work that God has given us to do might mean listening to somebody who has entirely different views on life and marriage and family and just simply listening with an open heart, looking for opportunity to tell your story and your narrative. And of course, God is always redeeming us in the closest relationships we have. Who, who has been married for any length of time that can't say that God is redeeming you through your marriage? Of course he is. Or your family and hopefully your church. You see, if an organization or, or if the church has been placed in the world to be redemptive, then that is the work that we have to do. The church then is something we say at Sunridge a lot. The church is a hospital. It's not a fortress. The church is a healing, redemptive community, a place where people go who are unwell so that they might get well. And by the way, that includes all of us, right? We go to this redemptive place, to the hospital, the spiritual hospital, so that we can see the great physician. We go to the church, the hospital, so that we can help one another. In, in hospital, we don't pretend that we're not unwell. We don't lie to people and tell them they don't have a deadly disease or something that's making them unwell. We're truthful, but in a way that is moving them toward redemption. And this is how it ties in, kind of wraps up this whole thing about the, our ability to talk in this day and age. See, bringing heaven to earth requires that we do our differences differently. 
I don't know uh, if you watched the presidential debates last night, but you know, there are some major differences. Newsflash. How are we doing our differences today? And for the Christian, those of us who say that we follow the way of Jesus, how is our way of doing those differences different? You see, we have to do our differences redemptively. We must do differences redemptively. And in order to do that, it's going to require that we talk. That we talk not just with people who make us comfortable, not just with people who will reinforce everything that we say. Of course, we all want that. But if we're going to be a, a redemptive force in the world to bring heaven to earth, then we're going to have to do relationships in a different way. Many of you, I'm sure, wear earbuds to listen to your favorite podcast or music, whether you're exercising or going for a walk or just doing housework, or sometimes you just put them in to study so that you don't hear all the other noise that's going on. But this, all of my earbuds say this, and may, maybe yours do too, when, you, when you're connecting them through the, the technology of Bluetooth, I don't know who came up with that, but Bluetooth, um, and you've held the button down so that they pair. What my earbuds say to me is device connected. You get that? Without that connection between my phone and my earbuds, I don't hear the podcast. It's playing, but I'm not hearing it because it's not connected. Talking in our culture today is the Bluetooth connection. It is the connection between heaven, God's, where God's will is done, and earth. Our ability to talk with one another is the way that the Jesus world and the non-Jesus world connect. And without that connection, without the ability to converse back and forth so that we can hear one another, our podcast, whatever our erudite ideas are, whatever, however fantastic our presentation may be, or our thoughts, or our theology, no matter how helpful the thing is that we have to say, if no one is hearing it, it's useless. We must be able to talk. It is a basic function of our humanity and our ability to flourish. And we as Christians have been given something that, that only those who follow Jesus have. We've been redeemed and made a new creation, certainly. But we have a life perspective that says that all people have been made in the image of God. And so God has given us in that context the work of reconciliation, the work of the ministry of redemption. And in order to do that, we have to talk. So let's talk.
Let's listen to one another. Let's stop labeling each other. Let's take off all of our jerseys except for one. The one that shows our complete and loyal allegiance to Jesus. And let's push away our pride and live humbly. And let's focus on being a redemptive community, one that brings heaven to earth. This is our prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But you know, that is more than a prayer. It is the work of the church, the work of you and I as Christians. Let's be that.